Hey, Mary. This year with my resource students, I'm doing a lot more encoding and spelling work. And I'd really like to chat with you and just make sure that I'm leading the students in the right direction. Can we talk about encoding today? Can't wait. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to the Reading Teachers Lounge. This is episode eight, season four. We are talking about encoding today, and Shannon is going to chat about some of the new strategies she's been trying, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the reading and research I've been doing um, specifically related to the science of reading, and we're going to chat about that today. So Shannon, tell us, what have you been up to? Well, first of all, let's introduce ourselves, just in case they haven't heard about this before. I'm Shannon Betts. I've been teaching since 2002. I've been a classroom teacher in all elementary grades, as well as a reading specialist. This year, I'm currently working part-time at a private school as a resource teacher in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. I'm Mary Sagafi. I am a reading tutor and a dyslexia advocate, and I have been teaching since 2006. Um, And right now, I am working privately with parents and students, um, specifically kids who have dyslexia. I'm Orton Gillingham trained and I'm ready to chat with you, Shannon. Okay. So this year I have an interesting group of resource students. Um, Two of them are identified dyslexic, but almost all of them, a couple of the third graders do need some phonics help, but for the most part, Most of these students are very good at sounding out words and actually have a pretty good oral reading fluency. Their issues are coming up in their spelling and in their writing skills. And so um, that's usually not what I work on with the students. You know, I've talked a lot about helping students with syllables and decoding all of the different vowel patterns. And I haven't had to do that as much this year. I've really had to dig into encoding. And, you know, I come... I'm always the practitioner practitioner first, and then I discover the science of reading, and that's really what I'm doing with these students too, is that um, watching, I'm assessing them closely. I've been using Hegarty for the phonemic awareness assessment, and then we also gave the words their way spelling inventory to kind of make sure that, you know, we got a couple different um, assessments to see if those things matched up, and what we realized, it, the teachers and I did, is that it, there was a connection between the phonemic awareness weaknesses and their spelling weaknesses and errors. So, for example, the students who had trouble with the endings of words in the phonemic awareness assessment for Hegarty were also making the most errors on the endings of words in their spelling assessment. And so yeah. I've been um, using those assessments to track their progress. And I've just been trying out different strategies with those students with doing phonemic awareness drills, um, similar to the Kilpatrick one minute drills, as well as um, the Hegarty Bridge the Gap, which is the program that was created for older readers who struggle with phonemic awareness. And it's very quick little drills. um, And you use the 
beginning assessment to decide which of the drills you need to do. You don't have to do the whole book. You decide which ones the students need based on their assessment results. And so right after we do the phonemic awareness work, then I'm doing a dictation and um, we're analyzing the words and segmenting the sounds. And then the students are um, practicing encoding and writing those sounds and spelling. And then I'm giving very careful feedback and we're reflecting on their choices. They're reading the words that they've spelled, trying to find if there's errors. And we're, we're talking very carefully about that. Awesome. So I think that your interventions and strategies sound spot on. They are, that's exactly what you're trying to do. You're working on some really specific skills. You're working on um, drilling down to the gaps that the students are having in their um, spelling errors. You're helping students to become aware of their spelling errors and have a little bit more ownership rather than just guessing at words. So I think that that's really important. All of these things are important. You're using a really... um, strong program. You can um, come back to the assessment and and check the students to see what progress they're making. So I think that that's really wonderful and strong. I think one of the great things that we do here on the Reading Teachers Lounge is kind of come back and read helps teachers revisit some of their pre-service learning. So we, we learned that spelling is really important um, in our pre-service program. But Maybe it was just because I didn't have the context for it or or whatnot, but I didn't understand that um, even spelling high-frequency words would be something that needed to be more explicit um, for some students. And I want to kind of like highlight that piece too. The work that you're doing is really important for your struggling readers. And that's specifically what we're talking about right now. Not all students really struggle with this. What we don't want is for students to just memorize whole words, spell those whole words. That We know that that is just not always possible for all students. Some students, yes, apparently that is an innate skill for a few people on this wonderful planet, but we know with the whole progression and evolution of reading and language, um, specifically writing and spelling and reading, um, we, we know that that's not possible for all people, students, learners, etc. So let's kind of come back to this and talk a little bit about what is encoding and why do we do what we do? Because I think that this is going to kind of inform our discussion a little bit more. So first of all, what is the goal of teaching reading and writing? Well, I think that we all have lots of answers for that. We want children to be able to access books. We want them to be able to put their ideas on paper and share their ideas with the world. We want them to be able to fill out job applications. If they're using spell check, they need to be able to look at a drop-down menu and decide whether that is the correct word they actually mean to use in that context. Um, you know, also reading and writing are give you access to a lot of important things in life. So I think that's kind of the purpose for doing it, right? Yes, I want my students to be able to participate in the communication yeah. of thoughts and ideas, um, their own thoughts and ideas and other people's and have access to other people's and to be able to not only participate in the oral communication in the world, but the written communication in the world. Especially because now we live in a society where we communicate quickly with text messages and emails, and there is actually a lot of written communication. And I think also as adults, um, 
there's a lot of judgment as well when there are spelling errors and things, or if there is, um, you know, syntax is out of place and the, the sentence order doesn't make sense. You can tell the difference of a proficient writer and a novice writer. I, I and, told my middle school students that like they, um, it's not like I want them to be embarrassed by their spelling errors, but there wasn't a sense of urgency that they needed to really get better at it. And I told them, I said, you're about to apply to high schools and those admissions, they're going to judge you based on your spelling. Like yep. it's, it's more important than you think it is. I know how smart you are, but a lot of times uh, we, you know, they look at your quality of writing and your spelling as a judgment of your intelligence. And so we need to work on this some. Um, yeah, not to feel embarrassed that, about it, but just because it's really important in our society. That That's a harsh um, just norm that is is true. And I don't think that that was um, even 20 years ago quite the case because, um, well, anyway, that, that's a topic for another time. So another let's episode. talk about what, what successful readers and spellers can do. So this is like big global picture. Successful readers and spellers can identify all the individual sounds and words and be able to manipulate that. That is called phonology, having a mastered phonology, a master of phonology. Um, and then also mastering orthography. Orthography is having that automaticity of your writing system and understanding the syntax of words and where they go and understanding that there are strings of letters that match um, specific things. If I use an acronym, part of or, um, orthography is knowing what that acronym is. It might also be, um, I know that the root word is uh, whatever it is. Um, I know that the word is here, H-E-A-R, um, and I'm not going to spell that H-E-R-E so that the meaning of the word goes in. And it's having that automaticity. It's also having sound letter correspondence. Um, and that part is the critical part that um, elementary school teachers and middle school teachers also really need to make sure is solid. The secondary pieces are not actually secondary, but I feel like oftentimes, and even in my own classroom, they took sort of a back seat. Um, and those are morphology and etymology of words. So just a reminder, morphology is that they're the word parts, either the prefix or the base word or the suffix, and those shape the meanings of words. Really important to understand that to be a good speller and to also be a good reader. Etymology is the history of words and making sure that you know why this specific word is spelled with this specific root. Um, and oftentimes, young students find this to be so engaging and so interesting and so wonderful. Um, I've seen that when I taught the, you know, nice and naughty, like, you know, irregular and irregular words. And they're like, mm -hmm. why is said spelled with an AI? Right. And it's, it's almost like a story about the word when you talk about the history of the word. Although I don't know a ton of the histories, like it's on my list to buy logic of English. Cause I've heard that, that, you yes. know, those resources are really good at teaching that etymology. I have to say it is not a strength of mine either. And probably because I feel like it was sort of glossed over in my own education. And I know that we should not be teachers the way that we were taught, but let's be honest that that definitely becomes part of um, who you are and, and it is something. So, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, 
take on too many things, especially in these days. But if there is something that you really want to improve on, I would highly suggest etymology, especially for first, second grade teachers. Um, we're going to link to a really cool video. And I highly suggest that you share this even with your young learners. It's a Ted talk, so it's meant for adults, but I think that we shouldn't, um, dumb down our, uh, words that we're using with our young readers because they can actually grasp lots of impressive concepts. So the video that I'm going to link, um, in our show notes has to do with the word one O N E and how that has to do with being solitary or, um, alone or things like that. But what it's going to do is break down and say, Hmm, it can also be a base word, like the word for anyone or oneself, but, um, it can also be a root word for like alone. And previously it was broken down to think that alone was, uh, like asleep. Um, that schwa sound, but really it's all one. And that's the person who is just by themselves, all oh. one. And so I think if you can teach children to break down words like this and give them these background stories, it really gives um, some context and background. And that's when they start to take ownership in their reading. And then they also remember it for that opposite um, piece, which is the encoding spelling. So how am I going to spell this? Oh, I know exactly what I want to say right now, because I remember reading it using their background knowledge. Well, and they're building a huge word bank then of a word web sort of word string of, okay, these are all those words that have that O-N-E spelling in it. Right. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, and the same can be said about morphology too. Um, I feel like when I started to really take ownership, I'm a little ashamed, it's probably earlier, but I really remember when I was studying for the SAT, when I was doing all of the vocabulary practice and prep for SAT words, that's when I started to really understand the etymology of words and the morphology of words. But I do want to encourage teachers to, uh, especially if you're working with struggling readers, but also all readers, this is a really important way of making sure that they have a solid foundation for language that builds upon their skills for decoding and spelling and coding. Well, spoiler so, alert, we're having an episode about morphology coming very soon. And Stay we tuned. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and we love it. So um, I want to just reiterate, um, I found this great article that I'm also going to link to, and it um, is from the Institute of Multisensory Education. And um, as many of our listeners know, they train a lot of Orton-Gillingham instructors. Uh, specifically, um, I love Emily Gibbons, and she was trained there um, at IMSE. So basically what I wanted to do is just sort of talk a little bit about how they break down what is encoding um, in this journal article. So what Peter Bowers says in an article from 2009, he says explicit instruction about the role of phonology and etymology. So remember sounds and the word meaning, um, word history, excuse me, is not optional if we accept the challenge of offering students accurate, comprehensive instruction. And then additionally, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the phoneme awareness, the development of automatic word recognition. Remember that is orthography. Um, depends on intact, proficient phoneme awareness. 
the knowledge of the sound symbols, graphemes and phonemes, recognition of print patterns, such as recurring letter sequences and syllable spellings, and the recognition of meaningful parts of words, morphemes. That's Louisa Motes. Um, also, the knowledge of spelling patterns and rules that are knit together, layer the English language as students use phonology, orthography, and morphology to identify how to spell words. So if you have the suffix ed, for example, it makes three sounds, id, d, t, spelled ed, d, t, um, in the sound pieces. It hinges on identifying the final sound in the base word. So you wanna make sure that you can, under, you can teach your students the spelling rule, but before they can understand the spelling rule, they have to hear the past tense verb and isolate the base word. That's morphology. So all of these things are just so important and we can't just gloss over them. As a teacher and as a practitioner of um, the science of reading and also just a reading teacher in general who is an expert, don't forget that all of these pieces are so important. Um, Okay, so this was the definition I gave to that fourth grader that I'm working with um, yeah. so that she would connect, you know, the little one minute phonemic awareness drills we're doing with the spelling work we're doing, because I definitely wanted her to be engaged in the learning, have that metacognition piece and have a purpose for all the activities we're doing. So I also, told her. I'm so glad that you said that, because <laughs> I think that we sometimes assume that kids are going to make these connections. And sometimes they just are not able to. So being yeah. explicit about that is super. It doesn't important. take that long. And then the buy-in is so much faster. Um, mm -hmm. And the student I have, she's been just extremely um, enthusiastic about all the activities and then telling me, you know, oh, I connected this to what I did in class later and things like that. It's really cool. Yay. So I told her that encoding and I explained to her that, you know, she might have a, she, she's showing she has a problem with this. And so that's why we're working on it is that mm -hmm. encoding, which is spelling is you, the reader hears sounds. And a lot of students aren't aware that we use our ears that much when we read and spell, they just think it's a, a vision thing. So I was explaining that really it starts with the sounds and we hear the sounds and then they make letter choices to represent those sounds. And what I'm realizing when you gave that more scientific definition of it is that those letter choices are informed not only by graphemes, but also by morphemes. Yes, And that exactly. the, the speller is doing both of those things sort of simultaneously. Exactly. Let me give you a quick example. So let's say you've been teaching um, your magic E and you have a student who's writing a story and then they come to you and they spelled the word made M-A-D-E. Well, they did use their informed um, decision-making with phonemes, but they did not actually spell the word for the meaning that they were looking for, which would be, you know, a, a house cleaner. And so um, if you, so in this case, you would say, hey, I noticed that you made this choice using your magic E, this word actually in English is going to be spelled M-A-I-D. And I know that we haven't talked about it yet, but there's a really big difference. It's a homophone. Use the word, explain to them that there's a difference. You don't have to go into direct detail, but I think we need to also take that opportunity to not gloss over their writing um, and to actually give them that information that while yes, they did spell according to 
you know, the rules that they were applying, this is a good opportunity to say, Hey, you're going to learn more and I'm going to teach you more. Um, because, um, that, that part is essential. Yes. And so you can say there's another way to represent the long vowel sound. Like sometimes we use a magic key rule. Sometimes we use two letters together as a vowel team, or sometimes yep. it's just the vowel alone and open syllables. So in this case, it's made with the AI together. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. I feel like this part now we have really kind of captured. We know that it's not just spelling. It's not just putting the letters on the paper, but it really doesn't encompass a whole lot more. But let's talk about some strategies to use because um, one of my favorite strategies for kids when they are doing their dictation is the SOS strategy, which is simultaneous oral spelling. And um, it's a commonly used technique, especially for children who have dyslexia. Um, and it's a way of building the phonological awareness using auditory, visual, and kinesthetic um, learning modalities all at the same time during spelling dictation. So um, there is a hard, fast rule that you need to be tough as nails in following this explicit direction with my kids. And I have been known to gloss over it before, and it has definitely bit me in the behind. Um, I learned the hard way that, nope, when I am teaching a new struggling reader or someone has come to me, I really do need to actually go through all of these six steps. Um, and I think that this is common. You are trying to evaluate what is the most important thing that you can get through during your day and what, you know, what is important and why is this important? for struggling readers who are weak with phonological and awareness skills, such as the kids that you are working with, I highly recommend using this really systematic way of, of teaching your dictation so that they then in turn take it and use it and apply it. Yes. I want to hear that because I think because I'm more um, instinctive as a teacher, because I wasn't trained in the science of reading that I might not be doing these steps explicitly the exact same lesson every single time with the student. And then that's going to slow down the gradual release of responsibility where the student is able to take on ownership of that strategy themselves. And so yeah. I want to hear about these six steps okay. and um, I'm yeah, let's them, talk I'm about put them. them on my table to make sure that, you know, I'm following them every single time. And so that the student can eventually do them independently. I love the visual that, um, uh, Emily Gibbons has on her Literacy Nest website. It's, I've been using it for years now. So here's the first step. And this comes from um, IMSCs as well. So any teacher that's, or any Orton-Gillingham practitioner that's trained from IMSC is going to be using typically this SOS strategy. The first step is the teacher dictates the word to the students. Total face contact is necessary so that the child sees the formation of the word on the adult's lips. So they must be looking at you. And then the student then repeats the word back out loud so that you can ensure that they have the correct word. Then step three, starting with their thumb, the child sounds out the word out loud, holding up one finger for each sound. So you wanna make sure that they're saying each sound out loud. This step is really critical. You'll be able to tell which students um, understand the sounds right away, or if a child is struggling with this step, you might want to even use a more multi-sensory technique, such as like a slider or giving them um, the cue again. 
sometimes using alkanin boxes also helps as another extra way. So you give them a plastic counter. So they literally slide the counter into each box for every sound that they hear. Um, and these are really important because there are some children who have difficulty breaking up the beginning or the final consonant blends. And that might be where your students were struggling as well, Shannon. Yes. Um, or sometimes when they, um, that repeating word is really important in those movements because a lot of times that fourth grader, um, she also has a speech issue and she'll end up repeating the word incorrectly. And so yes. I think, I think that's what's happening in her brain too, is that she heard it one time. And so then she repeated it incorrectly. And so she's spelling it incorrectly because that's what she remembered. Yeah. Well, and she's let's, made let's a change kind of to the word. Sorry for interrupting you. No, Shannon. that's what I was going to say. She made a change to the word. And so we have been doing that repeating word um, mm -hmm. strategy where it, it, sometimes I have to have to do it like three times to repeat it and then also repeat it in slow motion. Right. Good. Well, I think we have to also remember that remember dyslexia is a language based processing issue. So it, it comes back to language. We have to have them doing this at the same time. So let's move on. So that's step four. That is um, really touching each of the sounds. Now comes the writing part. Step five, students write the word out loud as they write it on their dictation paper. So they see and hear the word as they write, which is one of the hallmarks of this multi-sensory teaching piece. And then step six, finally, the student reads the word aloud. And this is the important time for them to do a quick self-reflection on whether the word looks right to them. So you always want to place that ownership back on the child. So this is the self-checking strategy. And sometimes then um, a lot of classrooms use this as well. And I use this when I was teaching. They also use the COPS, um, the capital overall appearance punctuation spelling chart to make sure that they are doing a self-check to make sure that their dictation is correct. And I think making sure that you give students that opportunity to self-check is critical. Many struggling readers are like, finally, I got it on the paper. I'm done. <laughs> I, I am lucky with that fourth grade student is that um, because her phonics are so strong, mm -hmm. she is able to read the word, whatever word she did end up writing, mm -hmm. she reads it accurately. Like Great. sometimes even if she was meant to say maybe um, a long vowel spelling, but she mm -hmm. wrote it as an R control vowel, she will read it as the R control vowel. She will read oh. what she actually spelled. Um, the only thing is sometimes we have to go back up to like step two where I have mm -hmm. to, she's almost forgotten the word that she was meant to be spelling. And I have to repeat that word again and say, well, remember what word were you supposed to spell? Mm -hmm. Did you spell that word? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I have her find the error. Like, was it, are you, where does it not match? Correct. Is it, does it not match in the beginning in the middle of the end? And then we sort of locate that piece. And then we, we a little bit go through those steps again. I'm going to talk a little bit about what it's like when you're working with um, kids who may be hyperactive and have a really difficult time going back and doing this self-check step or wanting to rush through. Because in this step, you might have to be hard as nails about going through each of those steps. But once that part is finished and complete, they are able to move on to the next step. So you might want to do this, um, maybe not with as many words, but you really want to be so specific when you're first introducing it, going through with them, each of the steps, and then um, having a visual there. But I will tell you, this can be one of the most challenging things, but it is one of the most necessary things. And this is what often happens if a student is really well remediated like yours um, with phonics, but 
is not given that time for application and the time for actually working on their spelling and, and using those skills on their own independently, then you have this big gap between their decoding and encoding skills. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I think that all the things that you are doing are spot on and fantastic. But she needs more writing time, like even just on a fun basis, like writing in a diary or something. I I would say so. And then she could also give like what you really want her to do is own her spelling and come back and be able to do the self assessment. Did Uh, I spell this word correctly? So what I I need to add is like, maybe she brings some writing back to me in between our lessons. Yeah. And we could go over some of the things that she's written and see if she's noticing some of the stakes in the context of sentences rather than just in words in isolation, like we're working on. Well, I'm going to even bring it. So when I worked with a small group, I had a lot of very busy little boys who wanted to rush through their work. And I would always give them that after dictation, a chance to go back and check their work. And it was always a quick glance at their paper. Okay, I'm done. But I would tell them, this is your chance right now to go back and make your changes. And as soon as they caught one of their errors, it was like big celebration. Oh, you did. You remembered. Now tell me, why did you do this? Giving them the opportunity to explain themselves and why they changed it and praising that way more than completing the task. Okay. Right. So you really want to give the ownership back to the kids so that they are saying, oh, there is a good reason behind doing this. Oh, I chose this spelling because I knew that, you know, the word matched correctly to um, what I was meaning to say, Oh, you know, I didn't spell made M-A-D-E. I spelled it M-A-I-D. I remembered that. And that's the reason that I spelled it that way, giving them the opportunity to share their, what they know. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think that that is probably the most critical piece. And it's also the most difficult to provide time for in the classroom. Yes. So it also has to become a priority. But once you do that, it creates, and and once you have a safe place where kids are able to do that in your classroom, that's when they're going to work for you. They're going to work really hard. They're going to want to take ownership. They're going to want to prove they're going to want to be able to do this. It's so tricky though. So let's talk about that extra time piece. Cause now it's coming to mind is something I've been working on with my third graders, Mm -hmm. which they need the decoding, the phonics and they need the encoding. And so I'm kind of, kind of going back and forth with them Mm -hmm. with both of the skills, but, um, their phonics pattern spelling words. Um, let's see two weeks ago were the change the Y to an I. Mm-hmm. And then do the ES or the ED. Mm-hmm. So like party, parties, or partied. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when the teacher I dictated the words in isolation, just spell partied, past tense, it was a big hot mess. Okay? Because they were all spelling P-A-R-T-Y-E-D. Or, yes. Yes. Or P-A-R-T-Y-I-D. And they something. didn't take- Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't really thinking about the meaning of it. They just weren't thinking about anything. And it was almost because they were English language earners, all three of them. I think they were doing too many steps at once. Yes. And so in my small group, we worked on, um, I gave them like two, like very simple sentences, like today I blank, yesterday I blank, so that we mm-hmm. could do the present tense and the past tense or the 
whatever, mm-hmm. and um, have that context for it. And so then we would spell it with the base, with the, just the normal way with the Y. Yes. And then we would do the changes yes. and we practiced practice with letter tiles and we kind of did some kinesthetic movements and things. When they did that extra step of spelling it with the Y first, yes, then their accuracy went up. Like I'm talking exponentially, their accuracy went up after that. And so I told the teacher and I told the students, I said, you know, we're making, we're working a lot on accommodations for English language learners as a school this year. That's one of mm-hmm. our initiatives. Um, and so I said, look, you know, can you do this as an accommodation for them on their assessment? Can you provide them a little bit of extra time for each word than you would the rest of the class? Um, maybe an extra minute or two for each word and also provide scratch paper. Mm-hmm. And I'll train them on the technique of making sure that they write it the first way one time, then write it the the real word, you know, and see if they will try that strategy. And if there's, you know, if their scores go up and um, it's hard, I mean, the teacher was definitely willing to do that, but it's hard because she had to change her teaching up and her timing up or the spelling test is going to take maybe double the time that it used to. Right. But, you know, I told the students, I said, look, if I was taking a spelling test in Russian, I would have to do these two steps. I would have to spell it, you know, the one way and then the next way in Russian, you know, and just it's because y'all are English language learners. You have to you have two languages. So you have two steps where people that were born speaking English maybe only have the one step. And um, they were a little reluctant, too. But then they saw how much better they got, you know like Mm -hmm. when they did that. And so I think it's going to take, I told the teacher, I'm like, I think it's going to take like maybe a month or two before the students really fully do this as just an automatic way of let me spell it two different ways to improve my accuracy. And let me do that extra step and not just rush and spell the word the way it comes in my brain the first time I said, but I think they're eventually going to get it. I think as adults and you know, this is, it's not a fault of our own, but it becomes so automatic to us that we just say, oh, well, this is the I change rule. So you're going to drop the Y, add the I, and then add your um, ES or ED. And that's what happens when you have, um, you know, an ending that has a vowel next to it. That's like such a complicated thing to state. It is a very complicated task, especially when some of your learners don't always have um, the knowledge of what is a consonant and what is a vowel, mm-hmm. like that is no joke. So if you are moving on to those steps before that they're ready for it, they may not notice that Y is actually acting as a vowel in this word or yes. that it has a really important place. And so when I say, you know, giving students space to really explain what they're talking about in small group, that's your time to really allow kids to give feedback and not just to you, but also to the teacher. I mean, to the other students in their group. Yes, they do definitely do that. And then we also, we actually fourth, fifth and sixth grade. We actually, we, with that word in particular, those words in particular, we did take, everybody knows how to spell boys pretty much, you know, like Mm -hmm. there were two boys in the class. So then we tried the Y to an I ending change with that. And they're like, that mm-hmm. word looks so weird. And I'm like, and we finally, I got them to realize that a word looks so weird if it's B-O-I-E-S, because there's just way too many vowels together. Like we don't put three vowels together in any word like that, exactly. you know, yep. and then that helped them learn that rule just a little bit better. Yep. I have a third grader that I'm working with and 
he understands the concept, but he doesn't always apply. And so what we are working on is what vowel do you recognize first in this word? Because I'm asking him to first recognize we're just working on, is it a one syllable word? Is it a two syllable word? How do we know? Oh, we need to know that the vowel sound makes up different syllables. I mean, as, as drawing that awareness to those vowels, making them look at the vowel first in any word. And, and that piece is so, so important. So now if you're noticing that there are three vowels in a row, we don't have vowel teams that have three vowels in a row. That doesn't make sense. So that must not be correct. Yeah. Or asking the question, I see this, is this irregular or is it wrong? There's a mm-hmm. big difference between that too. And then the explanation is different too. Yeah. And it's very different than just being in a general ed classroom and no offense to general ed teachers, but uh, check your spelling on that walking to the next desk. Because a lot of times kids don't know how to check their spelling for that. So, you know, just just a, an observation and a glance. And of course, I always pull on my own previous experience from this. I've definitely walked past a kid and said, check your spelling. And part of it was that I wasn't confident in my ability to explain it to kids either. Or I just provided the spelling. Yep. Oh, here you go. Yep. M-A-I-D. Moving on. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and, and I don't, you know, there's a time and a place, but let's just call it what it is. Right. But when we can bring the, once we know better, we do better. And exactly. uh, when we have the time in the small group, we can, when it is building phonemic awareness and morpheme mm-hmm. awareness about yeah. why words are spelled this way, why they're built this way. Yeah. And, and I think it just comes back to now I have a stronger understanding of um, what is reading? Yes. What is spelling? And what is, is English? Important? What is English? The, 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 because yes. it's done differently in a different language, but an understanding of the English language and the English code. Right. And as English teachers, we need to be very proficient in it. And sorry that I keep harping back on this, but I don't feel like I was very well prepared to be a very good English teacher in my pre-service. So now is my time to have my on-the-job training and learning. Right. Cause it. we just have 26 symbols, right. 26 well, letters, 26 phonies. symbols though, the letters, oh, yes. 26 mm-hmm. symbols, letters of circles and sticks and whatnot that we're using to represent all the complexity of communication. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's kind it's, of, it kind of boggles your mind Whoa. when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if we can simplify it a little bit for the students and start to categorize things for them. And like you said, those patterns mm-hmm. of spelling or those morphing patterns, the more they learn that the, I don't know, the larger their word banks will be, the more words they will have orthographically mapped. Yes. Yes, correct. And I, I was just thinking back to, you know, the video that um, I was talking about the Ted talk about the, the word one and um, you know, making sure that kids have some sense that there is some order and structure to English. I think we often kind of throw out the phrase, oh, well, it's just irregular. There's lots of irregularities in English, but there are lots of reasons behind them and you can take the time to look it up. So if there is a word that somebody is really struggling with, take out um, etymology.com. You can actually look it up. It's really amazing. You can look up any word in English. Cool. We'll link that to that in the show notes too. Mm -hmm. 
What a good chat today. Yes, thank you. I'm going to, I really appreciate you sharing the SOS strategy and I'm going to just streamline some of the things that I'm doing with the students with the encoding work. Love it. To make sure that um, it's more efficient and that the students understand the strategy even more of what we're doing in the steps so that they can start to do it on their own. I love talking strategies and like real in the classroom work. It's so fun. It is so fun to talk about this stuff with you. Love it. That's that's why we do it. That's why we do it. All right. Well, um, looking forward to our future episodes too. This is going to be really fun. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Have a great one. Bye.